Welcome to On The Go, an on-road transportation podcast with Clean Cities. In this episode, we're talking about the rapid build-out of Oklahoma's electric vehicle charging network. To kick us off, let's introduce our hosts. I'm Molly Putzig. And I'm Joanna Allerhand. Today, we will be joined by two guests with expertise in deploying electric vehicle charging infrastructure. They'll be discussing the Charge OK grant program. This program used VW settlement funds to put $3.1 million toward installing EV chargers, resulting in 90 new DC fast and dual port level two stations. Here to tell you more are Eric Pollard from the Association of Central Oklahoma Governments, which houses Central Oklahoma Clean Cities, and Leon Ashford from the Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality. Welcome Eric and Leon, thanks so much for being here. Let's get started. Eric, tell me more about the rapid build-out of Oklahoma's EV charging network. So for Oklahoma on, on the charging network, we really, it, it's sort of a situation where the the stars are aligned and, and in many ways we got kind of lucky, but with that luck, you know, it goes all the way back to the, the late 2000s um, and, you know, the the leadership at, at the state legislature looking at um, alternative fuels and at that time mainly being compressed natural gas um, and the passage of some tax credits that have really been some of the best in the nation and um, allowing for companies and, and others to expand um, alternative fuel vehicles and infrastructure deployments. And so, you know, over the years, you know, those tax credits have been discussed at the legislature and part of, you know, our the strengths of the Clean Cities program and working with our stakeholders to to advocate for uh, those incentives um, since then. But fast forward to, to 2016, um, the first sort of federal highway uh, alternative fuel corridor uh, requests, um, Central Oklahoma Clean Cities and, and Tulsa Clean Cities working closely with our, our state partners uh, to put forth the first corridor nominations. Um, and then, you know, it kind of, the ball just kind of got rolling there from from that to the, uh, you know, Electrify America and, and sending requests to them for potential locations. And then eventually uh, the Volkswagen settlement allocation to the, the state that we're going to talk a lot about today. Great, thank you. So I understand that since 2018, Oklahoma has had the largest growth of EV charging ports of any state. And in 2020 alone, ports increased by 122%. Can you talk more about the factors that influenced that growth? Absolutely, yeah. You know, early early on in the, in the discussions about Volkswagen uh, settlement dollars in the state, there, there was a pretty broad agreement amongst stakeholders that we really wanted this to be a statewide charging network. Um, and a lot of that, you know, came together within uh, the, the Clean Cities coalitions in the state and our combined efforts with an, with an EV coalition uh, as well. So we had great buy-in from, from many stakeholders and um, we had, a, you know, rural cooperatives advocating and and communicating their priorities for EV adoption on a statewide basis, even in those rural areas. You know, the understanding that rural drivers have, you know, almost the much the most to gain from uh, driving electric, whether it's you know commuting or or otherwise, you know, putting more miles on vehicles and things like that. So um, we were pretty 
um, unified in that in that message. You know, for uh, the Association of Central Oklahoma Governments, where or the Central Oklahoma Clean Cities Coalition is housed, we you know we wanted to balance that with you know um, deployments within Central Oklahoma. Oklahoma City is one of the largest regions that's still in attainment of air quality standards and electrification is is a big part of that effort. So we were really pleased with how that went, those discussions about the Volkswagen settlement and um, and the decisions that were made at the state level. Um, and then really those stars aligning that I mentioned where the the tax credit uh, combined with you know it, dollars coming from from Volkswagen and really private sector partnerships and companies um, that were ready to come to the table and say we want to make this investment we're gonna we're gonna monetize the tax credit we're gonna uh, take it take advantage of this and we're gonna hit the ground running and literally driving all around the state trying to uh, come up with agreements uh, lease agreements for for space for charging around the state um, and so 2019 uh, was sort of a, a watershed moment. The tax credit was shifting um, it from 75% for EV charging to 45%. Um, and we had a, a, a one of our uh, stakeholders, Francis Energy, really making that that uh, full sprint uh, towards the end of 2019. We're able to, um, you know, put a lot of charging out there. So with the VW funds from that, it looks like those were a big part of influencing that growth. I'm seeing that it was a $3.1 million for EV chargers from 2019 to 2021 and 90 new DC fast and dual part, dual port level two stations. Uh, a lot of that looks like it was accomplished under the Charge OK grant program. So Leon, could you tell us how did you develop the Charge OK grant program? Uh, the Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality that received the, the uh, BW Trust funds for the state of Oklahoma, uh, we decided that we needed some partners. So uh, we worked with uh, Oklahoma Department of Transportation, uh, the Oklahoma Secretary of Energy and Environment's Office, and the Oklahoma Corporation Commission, which is in charge of, uh, of uh, electric generation uh, here in Oklahoma. And the uh, four entities uh, designated one person from each and we worked together to develop uh, an idea of what we wanted in an EV charging station and and uh, applications and everything. We decided to have a, a 90 day uh, open application uh, where we would accept the, the applications uh we uh also decided that that uh, for an ev charging station to be successful it would need to be uh in a location that you would not mind spending a little bit of time at we wanted to have locations that had 24 hours a day had access at least to a bathroom and to water that that was the minimum and hopefully to uh, food if you if a location uh, had easy access to one or more restaurants close by then that was uh, a big thumbs up because we knew that 
you don't want to just go to an EV charging station, hook up your car and sit in it and wait for the, the charge. You'd rather use it uh, uh, being a little bit more productive. Yeah, those are great starting points for looking at where you might want to put chargers. I'm curious what criteria were used to prioritize charging station locations beyond that? Uh, beyond having the amenities, we were looking for the highest, the, the most chargers and the highest level chargers. If you're looking at an EV, uh, at a, a level three uh, fast charger, the, the minimum charging rate is uh, 50 kW and it goes up from there. And for example, the the Infrastructure Investment uh, and Jobs Act, it has a requirement of 150 kW level. At the time that we started uh, doing this back in 2018, 50 kW seemed like a really strong charger and very uh, hefty, but they keep increasing the size of the chargers, uh, kind of like uh, early on with computers. <laughs> You know, it's you wait a year or two and you get bigger and better. Uh, the uh, faster chargers, you know, it if you can reduce the the amount of time spent charging, that's going to be a, a a big plus. One thing I would like to uh, tell any any state or anyone who's just now starting on this, one of the things you need to do is don't assume uh, a, a level of understanding for all the people who apply for a charger project. And uh, you also need to understand, you need to make it clear uh, that a level, that, that a charger, you know, a box, a charger is a charger. A lot of uh, people kind of new to this area, whenever they see two connector types, they assume that's two chargers. We've had, quite a few people who would uh, put on their application that they're applying to put in four chargers and we find out that they're actually applying to put in two chargers but each one of them would have one chatmo and one ccs terminal uh, or cable connector on each side you know i think as you know leon's lesson there about you know you're going to have a variety of of interested parties that want to want to go after the funding that want to put in charging and as we look forward to you know the iija funding the infrastructure bill funding that's coming i, I assume we're going to see those same same things there so i think this is an opportunity for uh, the clean cities uh, coordinators to get involved with with whoever's running the program within the state um you know since since we undertook this in 2018 you know there's there's new focuses like the the J40 initiative uh, from the federal government and and the clean cities coordinators are going to be critical and um, you know working with the state agencies to work with a lot of different groups to uh, to put in charging uh, with a lot of different interests so that's a, that's important moving forward yeah a lot of exciting growth in this area uh, so Looking at those chargers, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how the stations were involved, who was involved and what their process was. We had uh, 
we had some municipalities, but most most of the municipalities and the colleges applied for level two chargers uh, for their locations, which makes sense there. We had, uh, I, I contacted uh, for the most part, every chain uh, convenience store uh, company here in the state of Oklahoma and tried to make sure that they were aware of the possibility. Some of them were interested and applied and some were not. Uh, who uh, we we as Eric said we were extremely lucky to have a uh, a private company that was interested in uh, installing chargers around in the state of Oklahoma and using the tax credits that we had available here and uh, they were responsible for installing a lot of chargers and installing a lot of them in locations that probably wouldn't have been interested otherwise. And that helped uh, substantially in increasing the number of chargers here in the state of Oklahoma. Great. So I think anyone working in this field knows there are inevitably going to be challenges that come up in any project. So could you tell us a little bit about what were some of the project, uh, the challenges that the Charge OK program faced and how you overcame them? Uh, one challenge that we really did, we didn't solve it ourselves, but the private company that was here installing chargers, uh, we had a situation where we had someone to apply and they were going to put some level two charging and one level three charger in a turnpike situation and a turn a, a turnpike is where you need the fastest charging possible and a level two charger won't do that so we were fortunate in that the people who applied for those uh, for uh, uh, placing this in, in their convenience stores along the turnpikes were approached by the private company and they were uh, this company basically took over the contract from them and instead of uh, putting in level two chargers and one uh, minimum uh, power level three they put in some uh, higher level all level three chargers which was was great because if they had put in the level twos, they 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 they, it, they probably would never have been used. So that that was one problem that we uh, were able to uh, overcome. Another uh, hint for the states that haven't done this yet but are looking at it: you need to to think really hard about. If a company applies for 10 different projects, are you going to separate each one of those projects into a, a separate contract by itself or try to keep them together? Or uh, if you keep them together, are you going to line itemize them in your contract so you can keep each one separate? You, it, It's a very surprising, the, uh, from the time you accept an application 
uh, we've had some site host to go bankrupt, so that project could not happen. Uh, we've had other uh, pro project applications where the the entity applying after a month or two of not doing anything, they decide to back out of the contract. It, it uh, the the longer you go without them actively working on the installation, the higher probability they may end up not completing the contract. That's that's very disappointing for us. I would add, you know, one of the things that we saw early on is um, in trying to to build a state statewide network. Obviously, you have your investor-owned utilities, your rural cooperatives, and your municipal uh, power authorities. And so, you know, each of them have unique rate structures and demand charges. And this is, you know, an area where may, maybe there's, you know, challenges are going to continue um, and um, just something that the folks that design the the programs and definitely the, the Clean Cities coordinators and the stakeholders that are working with to, to build out the network, you know, there's there's um, not not a silver bullet right now, but it's it's an ongoing um, thing. I think we need to have have in mind as we as we move forward here, especially looking at the infrastructure bill. And um, I, I think you know may, Leon can maybe speak to this, but I think it's it's interesting to see which which stations are are doing well and um, which ones may maybe aren't seeing as much utilization. Um, I think DEQ has, you know, over time collected information on on that usage, and that's that's great for us, obviously, because we can connect it with the uh, emissions reductions and kind of get a, a glimpse of maybe where the um, EVs are growing. So, um, actually, as of as of today, as of this record, we got some uh, news that uh, Oklahoma. Um, our sh our market share for EV of, of light duty sales in 2021 was was over two percent, um, and that's from from 0.2 percent in 2020. So uh, you can't can't say exactly that the the charging network is the big um, the big cause of that, but it definitely plays into it. So um, lots to lots of growth moving forward, but definitely a big jump. Um, you know the timing of this was always was was really tough too. You know a lot of these projects went into place, um, maybe maybe right before the pandemic, and so to get a you know we all we maybe only have you know less than one year of of data of, of usage data that we're looking at. So that that adds another level of complexity to to gauge our level of success. So a couple other things that I think had come up during this I was hoping that you could speak to were um, an initial issue with some areas where maybe there wasn't great cell coverage and also a lack of station payment accessibility. It sounds like you guys overcame those problems. Yeah, well, we we didn't, but our uh, the, the, uh, the people who applied for the the contract, the uh, contracts did they uh you know uh took steps to try to 
to figure out how to to get a better cell coverage or uh, you know sometimes when you're in a rural area you have one uh, cell company that's providing better coverage than the other and apparently they worked with that and and uh, made sure that the the uh, connectors or the the chargers had coverage uh, and as far as a payment we we've always uh, we, when we were first looking at this, we had several companies to come and, and provide information to us and several companies were, we wanted, wanted people to be able to go to a charger and not be a member of a network or anything, have to do anything in advance, but to be able to use that charger and the charger the companies that made the chargers said that's okay, but we don't want credit card readers. You know, it's a it's a big. Everyone knows you can put a skimmer on, on a credit card reader and have problems. And since some of these may not, you know, they're not inside or anything like that, where they're they're constantly watched, uh, they wanted to avoid any problems with that. They uh, some of the companies do have fobs that they use instead of a uh, uh, any kind of a network charge a card or anything like that. And I believe some of them do have some kind of a network, you know, their their own network uh, card that if you get that, you can use any charger within their network and be able to use it. But we needed some way to overcome uh you know uh any kind of problem like that and i believe all of our chargers do have a phone number posted where if you have any issues you you have a phone number that you can call and uh have them uh, uh turn the charger on for you or whatever it is that you need or be able to to make a payment using a credit card but over the telephone and not with a, a, a card reader. Okay, yeah, and this and this was uh, this was an area too that I think you know clean cities coalitions around the country um, can provide you know that outlet and that um, that opportunity for you know stakeholders that are actively using an, a new network to communicate any issues they may be having with with the companies that put it in and just allowing that uh, platform uh, to have those discussions and, and come up with solutions. So we had, you know, fleets that had added vehicles and, and many, you know, in many ways because of the, the charging that was put out there um, and were able to address issues quickly, uh, both within those uh, forums that, that the Clean Cities Coalition um, and the EV Coalition uh, had, but also just one-on-one -on -one, uh, as stakeholders. Okay. I'd like to go back to the the uh, working uh, or the the people applying for different projects, working with their electric company. We did require in our application process that the uh, whoever uh, applied would go to their electric company and discuss what what was needed for them. A lot of you know, a lot of people might not quite understand that 
their electric supply might not be adequate for installing uh, one of these chargers. And depending on the, the strength of the charger, you know, they, they may have to, to, the electric company might have to, to provide a, a, a heavier duty line to where they are, or they might have to install a, a, a larger transformer or something to that effect. Now, some of the electric companies might be willing to do that free because they know they're going to be selling you a lot more electricity, but other uh, companies may not. So you really have to know what you're looking at at your specific with your specific company. Okay. So safe to say it's important to work with your utility early and understand the options that are out there. Yes, because another thing is it could, as Eric said, it could affect your utility bill depending on how your it's uh, structured. It, it could uh, impact it quite a bit or it might not impact it that much. It depends. I did also want to mention quickly while we're talking about some of the challenges to overcome that I know it was the case in Oklahoma, like it is in a lot of places that there are a lot of Tesla vehicles out there. Well, a lot of the charging stations that we're talking about here are not the non-proprietary networks. Um, so just important to understand the availability of adapters for different vehicle types and charging types. Yeah, and we, you know, part of, you know, the reasons why you know, these ride and drive events are important and the engagement with the the driver groups is, you know, we that those things have just come naturally and they, you know, these adapters are shared within the, the Tesla owners club. And, you know, you see posts on their Facebook groups all the time of, hey, I'm taking a trip down here. Can I can I borrow the, um, the you know, the adapter? So, you know, even with the issues of uh, compatibility between Tesla and those chargers, you're still seeing uh, use of the network within the, the Tesla community. Yeah. And great. Some, some of the charging locations even uh, have some adapters that the, they will loan the Tesla drivers. So continuing on, I did want to talk about how you built on the success of the first round of funding to carry that on into a second round. Well, the it was it was actually kind of a, a eye opening or at one time I was. You know, I was looking at our network the way it exists and thinking about the the different uh, EV corridors or alt field corridors that we have and realizing we still had a lot of holes in our network. And I thought, well, in reality, the best use of these funds uh, is to use them to get uh, chargers installed in locations that might not otherwise get the charger. It's best to use these funds to say get a, fund a project in a more rural area where it would be, you know, maybe several years before anyone ever thought about putting a charger there unless you you fund it instead of getting uh, an additional the 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 the, the bigger 
the bigger draw or the more chargers that you're going or, or more charging that you're going to have is usually in the urbanized areas. Well, the a lot of our urbanized areas are covered pretty well right now, so it's best to use it in in places uh, where we have holes in our network. So for round two of the Volkswagen funding that we had, uh, we looked at and designated specific locations and uh, targeted those locations and accepted projects only for those locations. And we ended up uh, with, I think it was, uh, yeah, 11 DC fast chargers in six locations. Actually, we, we were hoping to get 13 in seven locations, but we've, We've had another uh, uh, project uh, application to go down the tubes <laughs> for us. Well, that's too bad, but it, it sounds great that you were able to take the second round of funding and sort of zoom out your lens a little bit and get a bigger picture on what was still needed out there. Um, so continuing on to that, how do you think the Charge OK program influenced charging station growth in the rest of Oklahoma? I hope that it made it to where people have seen these chargers around and get more comfortable with their where where they might need it. There is a are, are chargers available for them and uh, and just trying to uh, let the public know that that uh, we're out there. We don't have any specific signs or anything uh, on our charging locations. So you, you may not be able to tell when you pull up to one that that uh, we helped fund it, but we don't yeah, the the main thing is to have the charging locations out there and ha have them in use. And uh, I think, well, I I know that uh, several of the entities that have applied for charging state uh, uh, projects and received some funding from a from us, they have come back to us to to let us know if. There's any more money available that they're ready with other projects. I've had to uh, refer most of them or tell them that the next round will will uh, be uh, uh, worked by the Oklahoma Department of Transportation, and that they needed to uh, keep. Uh, alert as to if the Oklahoma Department of Transportation comes out with a, an announcement about funding available and that you know they they neither keep their pencil sharp and their projects uh, you know their applications uh, ready to submit but I I've also told them that there's a minimum requirement of 150 kW chargers and there's a minimum of four chargers per charging location, which uh, a lot of our charging locations uh, might have had one charger or maybe two. And uh, quite a few of them 
or only 50 kW. So I'm not sure. Uh, I believe that it it might be a a bigger project than what they were expecting in the first place. But hopefully that information's available. Uh, will be available to them, and if they work with their electric companies, they can find out exactly what they would need to do uh, to be able to uh, apply it and put in more chargers. Yeah, and on on that, Leon, I think you know a big part of Charge OK was you know just finding these locations and coming up with these lease agreements with whether it's a grocery store or a or a convenience store or whatever it was. You now have those agreements in place, and so if charging does need to be upgraded, if it's, you know, um, if it's on the corridor, and maybe they can go after some some infrastructure bill dollars, the you know those agreements are in place, and that that infrastructure is there. So, um, I would say, you know, uh, the Charge OK uh, project, we were able to to pair a, a couple of the projects with other federal funding. Uh, and one example, the city of Edmond, which is a community just to the north of Oklahoma City, uh, the city decided to to go after uh, funding for level two charging at a number of uh, diverse locations. So they had, you know, they had a tennis center that they put charging at, uh, city parks, um, and they uh, see, seeing quite a bit of usage and are really happy with with where their usage is at, even even during the pandemic. So. Um, they've decided to make additional investments in, in level two uh, at, I believe, six additional locations. So that's that's just one example of, of where uh, the Charger K funding has really spurred growth. And I think um, Leon may have touched on this a little bit, but with, with our lead applicant for Charger K with, in Francis Energy, one of the, you know, success stories with the tax credit in place was that they weren't you know, they took a lower cost share for of the Charger K funding, and that was um, it, with them doing that. We were, I think, able to spread the funding a lot over a, a wider base. Eric, can you tell us more about what benefits are provided by this new charging infrastructure, both in terms of air quality benefits and contributing to more EV adoption? Yeah, so you know, Oklahoma, we're we're an oil and gas state, and um, but you know, central Oklahoma, McLean cities. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary last year. You know, we we come at whatever opportunities there are out there um, with that, you know, clean cities mission with a fuel ne fuel neutral approach. Um, and so, with electric vehicles, it's just an extension of of what we've always done. Um, so, you know, for for the ACOG perspective where our coalition is housed, there's sort of two pillars of of what I tell people when they ask about this, when they say really EVs and in, in an oil and gas state. And it's, you know, our our clean cities mission has been consistent from the beginning. You know, we're looking at what fuels are out there, um, what clean transportation options are out there that will save fleets money, save consumers money. Um, I mentioned that, you know, approach for rural drivers that we, you know, in rural Oklahoma, you can save, you know, more money than someone driving, you know, within within one of our major cities. Um, and so that that's one of the main things that's driving it. Um, 
for you know the other the other side of it obviously is the emissions benefit um so for oklahoma city um one of the largest regions in in the country that's still in attainment of air quality standards uh transportation electrification is critical you know we're we're a spread out community uh, a lot of sprawl um you know acog and and the clean cities approach is you know balanced you know we're we're looking at those opportunities for uh, transit expansion public transportation uh, transportation alternative bike ped um, energy efficient mobility systems work eames work uh, congestion mitigation all those things are are on the table but single occupancy vehicle travel is is just uh is, is a reality it's going to continue to be the main mode of transportation within oklahoma so um for us you know the the more vehicles we can get over uh to electric uh the better we are in in maintaining clean air staying in attainment of, of air quality standards um and so part of what we're doing now is communicating that with with the public of um here are some of the emissions reductions efforts we need to take and if not we're facing a a pretty uh, drastic situation if we go into non-attainment and and have those additional fe federal re regulations come down on the on the community. And how do you think this investment will help broaden EV adoption from the early adopters to more mainstream? Yeah, so I mentioned the, the good news that we just got about um, our our adoption numbers and the in the growth in sales, um, and so. You know what what Leon talked about in that in that visibility. You know we'll continue to build off the strength of the network. Um, Leon mentioned signage. I think there's more we can do on um, on putting signage out there to in, inform the consumer. Um, so we're going to try to to build off the the strength of the network and um, the infrastructure bill funding is certainly key. Um, you know, but. There's also just been a lot of policy discussions that have been spurred and and will continue to happen around electric vehicles. It's if you watch the Super Bowl, I mean, what two or three commercials were electric vehicles. So you know we we get a lot of arguments like, well, EVs aren't paying their fair share of, of road of gas tax. Um, it's something that our legislature addressed last last year. We're kind of following what a lot of states are doing. Um, in terms of a registration fee, um, but you know, we're even though that was settled, we're we're thinking ahead as a as a planning agency and sort of getting really involved in those discussions about uh, road user charges and kind of looking at what what's the next thing that is a is maybe a threat or a barrier, um, and so as the you know the coalition gathering stakeholders throughout this process. So whether it was, you know, whether it's corridor uh, designations or or VW funding or infrastructure bill funding, uh, that coalition work and and looking down the road at what the next things are and what what those barriers are to adoption is going to be key. And you mentioned the recently passed infrastructure bill. What future efforts are planned in Oklahoma for continuing to expand charging infrastructure and promote EV adoption? Well, I'm I'm confident in in the work of um, Leon and um, others that you know in many ways because of the leadership that was displayed uh, throughout the development of Charge OK. I think 
we've kind of got a, a a blueprint. We've got you know the corridors that we've lined out, the network that we've lined out, and so it's it's a matter of you know getting the band back together, looking at what the gaps are. Um, hopefully, you know, in in looking at um, the network, it's you know are there opportunities for innovation? One of the things that that I'm really curious about and working with other Clean Cities coordinators on is working with our um, our Ubers and Lyfts of the world, the TNCs, and um, you know they they've made solid commitments to uh, electrification. And so, uh, is there airport charging for for TNCs that we need to look at, or the, you know locations that they're dropping off at? Um, in, in addition to those, you know, traditional interstate type travel locations that will definitely be prioritized. Great. And is there anything else you want to add before we close or any further advice for others looking to do similar work? You know, I think, you know, part of our part of our message is, you know, in, in some ways, um, the charging network is a bit of luck, but it also was a lot of work, you know, from multiple Clean Cities coordinators over you know, over two decades of of solidifying um, policies in place that really encouraged adoption to you know as as opportunities come came up um, aligning the stakeholders in your in your region and your state and the areas you cover to to take advantage of those opportunities um, at the end of the day it's a it's about leadership and um, the the folks making those decisions whether it was on on VW or other things um, it was really you know, backed by a Clean Cities Coalition stakeholders that were aligned with similar visions. I'm ready to see a bunch of uh, F-150s driving around all over Oklahoma. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Thanks, Eric and Leon, for joining us and sharing your experiences with EV charging infrastructure build-out in Oklahoma. Stay tuned for future episodes on ethanol, vehicle to building, and electric school bus resources. That's it for this episode of On The Go. As we wrap up, I want to thank the U.S. Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office and our team here at the National Renewable Energy Lab for their support. Also, a big thanks to Brittany Conrad and Vern Slocum, our podcast editors. We couldn't do it without you. If you want to learn more about Clean Cities and its partnerships to develop affordable, efficient, and clean transportation options to accelerate the development and widespread use of a variety of innovative transportation technologies, visit cleancities.energy.gov.